Hello, and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. I've seen a lot of chakra work being promoted lately, or chakra work, with the promise to tap into your innate perfection, unleash vitality, or unblock stagnant energy. It's really right up there with oils and crystals and dream catchers as a perennial trend in the wellness world. Someone at some yoga conference decided yoga was too bland and white and decided to rebrand with a rainbow of promises. And here we are, 2018, the year of chakra alignment and vague promises of improvement. This will be the first of two shows focused on the chakra system. The first one will be more about the system itself and the energy body. And then in the next episode on this topic, we'll dive into what each chakra represents or stands for. And if you're wondering if I just derided all those places for having rainbow dream catchers, why I'm talking about this? I mean, before Urban Outfitters start selling meditation cushions aligned to match your Svadhisthana, I figure we should tiptoe into this arena with some background on what chakras are, where this ancient system comes from, just give you a little bit more information than you know, the chakra quizzes online might be able to offer you. So you might be able to tell a few things off the bat. I have healthy skepticism toward new age trends, or really to any trends. It's not to say I don't use tools that I feel work for me, because I do. In fact, my first yoga teacher training was specifically focused on asana, the postures in relationship to chakras and sound vibration, which on the face of it is a good nominee for the most esoteric hippie dippy award. That award, of course, would be gold plated Ganesh, and he'd be holding a dream catcher in one hand and selling doTERRA in the other. But I am skeptical, as I mentioned, of, of wellness trends, even when they're rooted in ancient texts, because we tend to take these systems out of their original context and use them in part to promote a quick fix for the lives and bodies and hearts we all assume are broken, which is a very Western perspective. And honestly, that is taking something from a culture and using it as a a snake oil, a a one-size-fits-all, fix-everything solution. I realize I started by saying a couple things, and then I started with one, and For the two, I honestly don't remember what two is. Just know that I approach wellness trends with skepticism, right? I approach the adoption of ancient techniques without context or culture awareness with real hesitation, in part because I've done it before, because I kind of grew up in this world and thought it was all hunky-dory until I started diving a little bit more into things. And I still have a ton to learn, and I may be guilty, too, of taking things out of context and using them in ways that are a little disrespectful to where they originally came from. So I'm trying to avoid doing that. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this episode. So we can get a little bit grounded in where all this stuff is coming from and we don't just see it as another commodity or another quick fix. Honestly, I'm the kind of yoga teacher who doesn't I don't even use a lot of Sanskrit in my classes, and that's not because I'm not interested in honoring the language and tradition where these postures originated, but instead because I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, and I sometimes see the use of Sanskrit naming in an asana class, in a posture class, 
as some kind of exoticism or an othering that just makes me feel uncomfortable. So for me, stand like a mountain, sit on your heels like a child, got it, be in your body in this time, in this place, in this moment, in this context. It's good to know where your tools are coming from, but you don't have to pretend that that's where you're coming from, right? You don't have to pretend to know more than you do. All of this to say, I'm going to try to provide a pretty quick overview of what all this chakra business is about so that you can approach the latest find your chakra imbalance quiz with some respect and intent. Chakras don't live in the physical body, though they may correspond loosely to organ and nerve systems, but that's, we'll hold on to that for a minute. You can't hold a chakra in your hand or x-ray it, examine it. Instead, we can only see evidence in its effects. Think of it this way, and I, I talked a little bit about this way back in an early episode, two or three, I think. We know that there's air. We can't see it, x-ray it, hold it in our hands, but we know it's there because we can feel our breath and we see the leaves moving on the trees, so we know there is wind. We see its effect rather than seeing it. The leaves move in the breeze, the breeze must be made of something, that's air, and that's, that's a system we rely on. For me, this is like math. It's a system that we take as fact, but really it's a theory. We think two plus two is four, but really someone just made that up to explain the way the world works. And it does work for the most part, so we don't question it until we get to negative numbers or honestly infinite numbers, and then the whole thing just makes no sense to me. But it does to other people, and we need math to help us explain the world, so it's a system that we use. The energy body and the chakra system is just another system. It's a way of thinking and a language we use to describe the natural world. It's not inventing anything new that doesn't exist. It's just a different kind of language to talk about the way our bodies and our lives and the natural world function. How do we know if chakras are quote-unquote real? Well, I would argue we don't, but also that we do. So, okay, do I believe that we each have seven, arguably seven, spinning disks of energy located manifestly in a separate body called our energy body that we imagine as a shell of energy over our physical body and through it, and that these disks have colors and petals or images do I think that? Actually, no, I don't. But I will say this, and this is, for me, where the whole thing gets interesting. It doesn't matter if that's how I see them because this is the vocabulary the ancient seers used. And the system itself is real in that it's a system that explains the natural world. So it doesn't matter if I believe red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple are the colors of the chakras. This is the language we're using to describe how this system works. If someone told me that bees talk to each other by dancing and they construct homes out of hexagons because my math teacher explained how hexagons work, I would say no, but there they are, the dancing bees and the hexagons. What I'm saying is that beehives exist, whether we call those shapes hexagons or not. 
Chakras are true because energy is real in the same way that hexagons are the strongest shape. And so bees make their home that way, whether we call them hexagons or not. Frankly, why we don't make our own homes that way, I'm not sure. But I'm not a bee and I don't communicate primarily through dance, usually. Let me take a quick moment to talk about energy and the energy body. There's simply no way I'll be able to dive deep enough into this right now. I mean, honestly, the bees thing is just an example of what happens when I try to shortcut this stuff. Vedantic philosophy talks about us humans as made of layers, like an onion. And koshas are the layers of the self. There are either three or five, depending on who you talk to. The first layer is the anamaya kosha. It can be called the foodstuff layer. It's the physical body. It's the meat body. It's all our muscles and stuff and our physicality. Then there's the pranamaya kosha. That's the energy layer. The manamaya kosha, mind stuff. Vijnanamaya kosha, wisdom. And anandamaya kosha, that's the bliss layer. And when we think about yoga, we're usually talking about the physical body, the asanas, the postures. But when we start in with the chakras, we're talking about the pranamaya kosha, not the meat body, but the energy body. Again, do I know if these guys were talking about this so literally, and they were guys? I don't know that. But it's a fascinating way to think of our human existence. The easiest to see, touch, feel is the physical. Then one layer more subtle than that is the energy layer, pranamaya kosha. And we may have heard that root before, prana, pranayama, for example, breathwork, or prana, the clothing line, it has nothing to do with anything. Prana can be translated as breath or life force, energy, chi. When we work with the physical body, the meat body, we use postures, right, exercises. When we work with the energy body, the prana body, the best way to key into our energy is through the breath. It's one layer more subtle. So how does energy travel? If you're talking about caloric exchange, we get into organ systems and the nervous system. But let's for a moment take our power of 10 to go deep, 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 deep into that physical body. You can explain how energy moves in really great detail up to a certain point. We have all sorts of words for energy exchange. Work, heat, ATP, transfer. But what actually is happening is honestly more elusive than the vocabulary would indicate. Maybe adenosine triphosphate converts to a diphosphate. That's one set of vocabulary. Prana is another vocabulary word. But at the end of the day, it's all energy. And it travels through the body, in this system, through nadis. N-A-D-I-S. Now we're really going to skip over what the nadis are and what they're all about, except to say in this system, the nadis are almost like the nervous system, but there are three big channels where they cross. And where they cross, that's where the seven main chakras are located. I knew we'd get back to the chakras. It was a wild ride. I'm going to take a quick break and pause here to say thank you and to ask for your help. Yoga for the Revolution is about to turn one year old. She can toddle, she can babble, but she still needs a lot of support. So before I bake a cake just so that she can smash it into her podcast 
face. I want to ask you a question. I want to know what you want to hear more about. Do you want more Ayurvedic assessments of all members of Congress? How about a posture sequence you can do in just those few moments before you call your senator and get really nervous? Should I do a listener Q&A? I want to make this show something that's helpful and useful for you in your life. So please give me some of your thoughts. You can submit your suggestions to me in a couple of ways. One is to go to yogafortherevolution.org slash contact. And you can leave me a message there. Another is to get in touch on social media. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution. That might be the easiest social media avenue, but I'm also on Twitter at y underscore f underscore t underscore r and Instagram as yoga for the revolution. So chakras, spinning wheels of energy live in the energy body, the pranamaya kosha at those exact points where the three main nadis intersect. And so what? What happens in these very special places? In theory, each of these chakras are a place where energy is exchanged in the prana body itself and with the interior and exterior worlds. We didn't get too much into the koshas, the layers that are more subtle than the prana body, but they include the mind, right? Our discerning thinking mind, as well as our inner wisdom. And what's happening in those layers, even though we can't touch those things, they affect the other layers. And this isn't a new concept, right? Have you heard anyone say uh, people hold their issues in their tissues? I haven't said that in a while because it's a little eye-rolly, but there is some truth there. We can hold stress and emotions in our muscles and in our gut. Where do ulcers come from? An emotion like stress that manifests physically, right? That's not so hippy-dippy anymore. That's kind of something that I think is becoming more mainstream, that our emotions absolutely do affect our physical body. So chakras then are where this communication is happening. It's where that exchange of energy is happening amongst and between all the layers, all the kosha, and also with the outside world and the inside world. What gets really interesting, what gets really interesting now is that it's not like we have seven discs all lined up, that they're all the same. Uh, They're not like wheels on a car, right? The wheels on a car when you buy them, you don't buy this one as a right front tire or a left back tire. You buy tires. And just because of where they're placed, they do a slightly different job. This is different than that. This is more like you have a left shoe and a right shoe. And if you put the left on the right, this is no good. In this system, each chakra is specialized, like organs in the body. They each have their own qualities and their own job. Each of the seven main chakra is associated with a gland, a beige or a seed sound, a color, a symbol, different deities and animals, an element, a sense organ, and areas of the body. And these are all pretty interesting if you're into that kind of stuff. For example, each chakra is described as having a number of petals, and that each petal contains a basic sound of the Sanskrit language, which is freaking cool. It's just poetic. Sanskrit isn't a language born from logic. It comes from an experience of energy. 
which is something we often overlook, and I think it's pretty neat. But it's no wonder that these simplifications and life hacks and chakra 101s never really get at it because this stuff is woven into the language. It's not something I can really do justice in a podcast. And yet, here we are. You may have heard that the first chakra is about being grounded or the second is about sexuality or the fifth is about creative expression or maybe you haven't heard any of that. But in our fix-it kind of Western way of thinking, that's the stuff that comes up most easily or more frequently. Oh, if I'm in lucky in love, I'll do a heart opening sequence. Or if I need to ask for a raise, I'll meditate on my third chakra, right? Very problem solution oriented. So each chakra has its own purview, its own area of expertise. Have you heard of Maslow's triangle or Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I've mentioned it here before, but the chakra system works the same way. And I don't know if like the ancient rishis came to this conclusion in meditation and Maslow did also later separately or if he was reading Indian philosophy. Here's a quick overview. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory in psychology proposed by Maslow. I'm looking this up right now. Abraham Maslow in 1943. He wrote a paper called The Theory of Human Motivation. And his theories parallel a ton of other theories of human development, uh, developmental psychology, some of which focus on describing the stages of growth in humans. So Maslow used the vocabulary, physiological, safety, belonging and love, esteem, self-actualization, and self-transcendence to describe the order and pattern that human motivations generally move through. Right, and the goal of Maslow's theory is to attain the sixth level or stage, self-transcendent needs. And since 1943 or before, we've all kind of worked under this rubric, even if we've never heard of Maslow. I may not be concerned with confidence, esteem, or self-actualization if I don't have enough food to eat or a safe place to live. Right, at the bottom are the most basic needs for human survival. And at the top, well, at the top is ascension, right? On the ground floor is food and water, then shelter, resources, security of family, health, morality. After that, one level above is community and creation, then self-esteem, achievement, and at the top is self-actualization. And this holds true for human psychological development as well as, I don't know, the order babies do stuff. When a baby first arrives outside the womb, All it does is eat and sleep. That's all it needs. That's all it can do. No newborn suffers from low self-esteem or arrogance for that matter. They're not capable of that because they just need to eat, right? They're hungry and they need help. Belonging and love manifest physically only through food and warmth. At first, a newborn can't even see a foot in front of his face. And when he does, eventually, after he's had enough food to grow a little while and is eyes figure themselves out, then he can see other people. It's not until a kid is toddling around that they really start to get a sense of what community is, what yours is, what mine is. Self-actualization. This is my toy. I can open the door. I can do it myself, right? That's the hierarchy. And that's the way the chakras work too, which I think is a really nifty system, right? Beauty of the hexagon. 
So the first chakra is about safety, security, groundedness. The second, the next level up, is about sexuality and creativity. That's creation and procreation. The third chakra is where esteem comes in, personal power. If you've ever been to a power yoga class, you do a lot of warrior poses. That's maybe what you could associate with this chakra. The fourth, get ready for Valentine's Day yoga classes on this, the heart chakra. Fifth, throat chakra is all about expression. And sixth, intuition. Those two are both about self-actualization. And the seventh chakra, the crown chakra, is all about enlightenment, spiritual connection, and what Maslow might have associated with self-transcendence. We're going to pause here. We'll dive back into each chakra next time. Before we go, though, let's do a brief energy experiment because I've been talking a lot about the energy body and this system, and that's all very lovely theory if you're into theories and systems, which I happen to be, but maybe you're more of a experiential person, right? If you were a kid who wanted letters back from Santa to believe he existed, you might need a little bit more of a tangible moment here. So we do a little energy experiment. If you can, find a place where you can focus and feel whatever that place means to you. Whether you're sitting or you're standing, close your eyes, exhale all the air out. A long, complete exhale before breathing in again. And again, let all that air go. Focus on the exhale rather than the inhale. Maybe next time you can sigh it out. (sighs) And then take a posture so that your spine is straight. Your feet or your seat is grounded. If you have your legs crossed uh, in a chair, plant both feet on the ground. You want to be pretty grounded here. And have your long spine. So go ahead and rub your hands together. Fast. So keep going. Rub your hands together quick and fast and really make some noise. Make some warmth happen here. Focus your mind on the palms of your hands. Keep rubbing, keep rubbing, keep rubbing. Now bring your hands to stillness and slowly, in slow motion, begin to separate them from one another. First a quarter of an inch, then an inch, If you already have your hands a foot apart, you went too fast. Go back, rub them together again, make that warmth, make that heat, and then start over. Continue to find your breath and find your hands maybe six inches apart. It can be a little less or a little more, but start there. Focus on the palms of your hands. Focus on the heat between your hands. Now begin to slowly Move the hands another quarter of an inch apart and a quarter of an inch closer together. Go slow and focus on the palms of your hands, the heat in the palms of your hands. Notice if you begin to feel anything in the palms of your hands. Breathe and slowly and with small movements, begin to move the hands. Perhaps they come wider apart or closer together. 
without touching. Maybe with an inhale, your hands begin to get wider apart, like you're blowing into a balloon between your hands. Keep breathing and focus on the palms of your hands. Feel the heat between your hands. Take a few moments to play here. Focus on the heat between the palms of your hands or any other sensation that you might feel between your hands. Focusing on the palms of your hands. Pulling apart, coming closer together. And then in slow motion, release your hands. Place them on your lap. Or if it feels right, maybe the heels of your hands come under your eyes, covering your eyes. Or maybe your hands come to your heart. Keep breathing. And as you come back to the present moment, notice if you felt any sensation between the palms of your hands. Some people describe a feeling like magnets attracting and repulsing each hand from one another or a big cotton ball between the hands or like pulling taffy. You might have felt something different or nothing at all. Just notice. And until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.